life. Cheers, man. Cheers, Andrew. Welcome, everyone, to a new Chaser of Profiles. We are enjoying uh, some San Diego beer. Yeah. First one we're recording in 2022 as well. Oh, we are. Heck yeah. You know, today, it's January 7th already, and it was the first time today that I actually had to write the number of the year. Oh, yeah? Like 2022 by hand. Always trips me up, man. I know. I remember back in high school, that was like the thing, right? You you spend you spend at least like three months getting used to it every time. Yeah, and first week back from the break, people get to do that joke like three times a day. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, look at me. I'm still around the last year. <laughs> I had, like somehow it still manages to get like a laugh out of the classroom. Ugh, yeah, like, I know. After I'm, 10 times. I'm disgusted with myself that I still laugh at it. But here we are. <laughs> it's fine, man. So, yeah. Okay. So uh, what are we drinking tonight? We are drinking some beers tonight. And we're starting off with uh, a McKellar Windy Hill. So... Uh, Avid listeners of the podcast will be aware that we've uh, we've already had a McKellar beer on the show with Dr. Trevor Urlacher. But uh, tonight we're taking it to the other coast and we're having their uh, East Coast style, New England style IPA, Windy Hill. As is usual for McKellar, this comes in a can with delightful, tasteful design. Yeah. In this case, it's a sky blue background with two little dudes. And one of them is losing their hat or, or hair. We don't really know what it is, but it's an adorable. Probably on the Windy Hill, presumably. Oh, okay. I get it. I would think so. I mean, may- maybe not. Maybe this is all a fake out. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right on the money. Andrew. Yeah. Well, uh, listeners of the podcast, also check. We're, uh, we're up in our social media game. By which I mean, uh, Noel is upping our social media game. (laughs) That's what I tell myself and what I tell Andrew. Because he does all the editing now. (laughs) I am am stepping into it. And here we are. Um, But uh, yeah, so hopefully they'll see some photos. Some macro photos of these. Some videos. Some Instagram candy. (laughs) (laughs) At NG. No, wait. I don't know my Instagram handle. That's horrible. Okay, we're going to put it in the description. No, it's at Noel Brizuela. Okay, all right. Yeah. I think we're going to start putting that in the description for uh, for most of these. Okay. Well, we can discuss that after. Let's do that. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, we're recording The Chaser now for our conversation with uh, Dr. William Chapman. Congratulations to Dr. William. Huge congratulations, Will. <laughs> Once again on your defense. And excellent postdoc position at um in car up in boulder he's leaving tomorrow yeah my god tomorrow at 5 a.m sign oh, today he told me yeah it sounds uh the whole process of moving it's across a states it's a mood 100 <laughs> percent. yeah it, it's it's pretty tough one i don't envy him that especially since uh boulder just went through um the most destructive fire in colorado history uh yeah it well you told me andrew some of the numbers of how many houses this fire consumed in a matter of hours yeah so the fire the fire i i forget the exact day but basically it started and within hours it had burned hundreds of homes because they couldn't effectively fight it so this is for our listeners this is the uh, marshall mesa fire in boulder county um 
And we're not just talking about this because Will's moving there, but because it uh, affected some people we know as well. <laughs> yeah. And have had on the show, like uh, Dr. Julie Vanatine, who lives in Boulder. Um, yeah, so it uh, it started, and very there were 100-mile-an-hour winds, and so they mm. couldn't effectively fight the fire. And so within hours, it had burned hundreds of homes. And they all the firefighting effort was basically just focused on evacuating people. And... Uh, in the less than 24 hours that it burned, uh, basically a thousand homes were destroyed. Jeez, a thousand homes. Imagine just how many people that is. Yeah. A lot of people I know too, actually. Damn. Um, luckily, I mean, nobody there, I believe there are still two missing people. I don't believe that there are any fatalities as of right now. Uh, there might be one, but that is, that is a true like miracle. Yeah. I mean, for the size and speed of propagation of that fire, that indeed is a miracle. Yeah. Big shout out to the emergency responders of Boulder County. Like that's, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, everybody who got out, great job listening to all the all the folks and those who are making the public announcements. That's great. But uh, I think the emergency responders are really the ones to thank for, yeah. for the lack of fatalities. The so. disaster managers, the people who in the most chaotic times know how to keep it together. They know how to follow a plan. And they can organize people to save as many lives as possible. Yeah, yeah. So um, to everybody who's impacted by the fire, if you're listening to this right now, our hearts go out to you. Um, you know, best wishes. I, there's there's things that you can do uh, if you're listening to help out. But uh, if you're living in Boulder, uh, we'll drop some links in the description of uh, ways that you can help with disaster relief if that's, uh, if that's something that you are willing and able to do. So... Um, on to lighter topics a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we, we can transition from this because we actually talked to Will in the previous episode about how it's so difficult to predict these weather events such yeah. as 100 mile per hour winds. You see? Yeah, yeah, 100 mile per hour winds, which the front range gets. I mean, you know, they're in the in the wake of the, of the Rockies, basically. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, exactly. I mean, so this is like a, the conjuncture of multiple prediction problems, right? Yeah. Because um, we we have the prediction of whether or not there's going to be a fire mm -hmm. in a given day. The the question of what the winds are going to be that, in this case, made the fire so much worse. Um, and in predicting either of those, there's a thousand different variables that are so difficult to, to keep track of. Yeah, and even something like the next day after the fire, it uh, burned, it snowed as well, right? Which is was mm. good for helping mitigate, you know, any spread of the fire, but it was terrible for any houses that it's a strange structural damage but hadn't entirely burned because the snow finished the job basically. Oh man! So like, pretty being able to predict that too is yeah. is really important for these disaster situations. Yeah, take weakened wood and then throw a bunch of snow on it. Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> that's game over man yeah. yeah so i mean it's it's uh it's important and also that's why in car is right there right yeah. you know uh so um yeah looking forward to watching will's work moving forward there yeah oh he's gonna be he's gonna just kill it he's yeah. amazing um i remember we were talking about how amazing surprising it is that computer models of the weather system actually work yeah. And I think this event gives us a, a little window on 
onto the kinds of things we can be better at responding to because we have those um, weather models and you know regardless of whether or not they are applied to any given situation they 100% shape how we think about how these disasters unfold yeah how they put people at risk and how we can best mitigate that yeah well said man i think so. <laughs> i think i think it matters a lot you know especially as climate change continues to uh to just change the face of the earth right the the more we know about where we're headed the better we can hopefully manage the the catastrophe that's coming man i'm just in a i'm in an optimistic mood tonight aren't i <laughs> god well i mean here's the computers though yeah cheers cheers to will chapman and his computer <laughs> yeah but noel i wanted to ask you so um so will obviously does a bunch of stuff with machine learning um uh yeah where do you think that fits into like the modern kind of scientific space because there's a lot of feelings about it and we got into some of those with will but oh machine learning yeah oh god i wish i'd brought this up when will was here (laughs) (laughs) but well i'm not gonna go for the machine learning and science like the exact conjunction of those two take it wherever you're going i'm gonna go somewhere that is somewhat peripheral to this okay as machine learning becomes so popular in everyone's eyes, yeah, there's so many people out there who are, I mean, we all know it's a buzzword. We know that a lot of companies and oh, yeah. entrepreneurs, politicians, all sorts of people use machine learning as a catchphrase to get people's money, to get people's attention, mm-hmm. to to really like... Sometimes a lot of companies will claim to be special because they use machine learning in some way or another. Mm -hmm. And maybe they are using it, but that doesn't necessarily mean their product is any better than anybody else's. No, not at all. I, you know, in fact, I, uh, I occasionally will be on YouTube just watching videos by data scientists. Um, you know, really good, like, uh, Python tutorials or just whatever, you know? And, uh, pretty much every data scientist video now or like social media thing assumes that you're using machine learning of some sort. They basically say, and uh, you know, you've got your machine learning packages, you'll be installing TensorFlow and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, well, okay, (laughs) fair. Machine learning's big, but it's not, not everybody uses it, man. There's still, I mean, it is still a subfield and it's a great, like it's a very useful one, but it's a subfield nonetheless, you know? Yeah. Well, what I think is troubling is that it's being used as a substitute for expertise, like Mm. subject expertise. So instead of, imagine that you're a company, um, an agricultural company. Yeah. So what a lot of people are doing, sold on this idea of machine learning, is instead of hiring a team of biologists and botanists and geneticists who can understand what's going on with those crops... And, and make the most out of them people are selling services that are essentially just capture data yeah in some agricultural field and they put it some through some machine learning algorithm so instead of hiring all these biologists and people who actually understand agriculture plants and animals they're hiring a bunch of data science people 
who know nothing about the system producing the data that they are processing. Right. And so the actual move is to hire somebody like Will, <laughs> exactly. who knows the physics and does the data, right? Exactly. Like it's that machine learning is so useful, but only if you can, in my opinion, what I, what I call sanity checks, right? Where you can do sanity checks on it, where if it spits out something that you're just like, this doesn't match with physics, or this doesn't match with the things that we know about X, Y, or Z, which, you know, people might say, oh, well, the data says this when like, you know, the theory says whatever. I, I think, I think you, you got to have both of those so that you can have the interplay between the two, right? Yeah, Will truly has the infallible <laughs> weapon. He's to, got he's got the pedigree, man. Right. Yeah. He's got the pedigree. He's got the recognition in the science community, and he's got the buzzwords for the tech people. Yeah. Um, off you go into the stars, Will. <laughs> Will, if you need a resume builder for faculty jobs to which you're applying, you should just send him this podcast. We're talking you up so much, man. It was just very impressive. It was, <laughs> that was a great conversation. Yeah, I just left. I mean, I was already impressed with Will's work, but uh, left even more impressed, I think, after that conversation. So, um, yeah, yeah, it, it was really good. Um, and and he's just going to be super successful. And, and it's exciting to have uh, an early career scientist on. You know, yeah, we're looking forward to have more of those. Yeah, absolutely. We need to populate our calendar <laughs> with people like that. Yeah. So if you're out there, send us a message. Yeah. If you're itching to be on profiles, you can always hit us up. <laughs> profiles at pod at gmail.com. Check the description. All right, Andrew, we have a list of topics for today. Yes. We, we, we haven't hung out in a while because it's been the holidays. So oh, God, we've got yeah. so much to talk about. Um, before we do that, I have more to say about this beer. So, uh, so I, I mentioned that it was a, uh, East coast or a rather a new England style IPA. Um, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about the characteristics that you might traditionally see with that. Ooh. So uh, a few, a few episodes back, we talked about when did a sampling of West coast IPAs, which are typically quite hoppy, pretty clear citrus forward. Uh, you know, the, 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 the point is. Well, maybe not the point, but you can imagine where it comes from. It's a very refreshing, crisp beer on a Southern California day. It's great. I would also say it can be bitter. If you're not yes. used to the IPA flavor, it can be overwhelmingly bitter. And Absolutely. Tastes terrible. <laughs> I don't know if I would go for the second one, but I'm, I, an, I'm, an, I, I'm an apologist. So, Well, I'm seeing this from the perspective of someone who's not used to drinking IPAs. Very fair. Very fair. So... East Coast IPAs, New England IPAs, on the other hand, are generally hazy or a little hazier at least. And this, um, you know, I'm not a, I, I, I am not a chemical engineer. I am not a chemist. I am not a uh, fermentation scientist. But as I understand, the particulate in the beer actually comes from higher protein grains mm -hmm. and from hopping later in the process. So for West Coast IPAs, you're you're putting the hops in during the boiling of the wort. And for most New England IPAs, you're actually hopping it after the boiling. And so, or later on in the process at least. Mm. And so it, you get a lot softer character. There's a little bit less bitterness. It tends to be less citrusy, a little bit sweeter, a little bit smoother on the palate. Um, and you just get something that's, uh, you know, delicious and quaffable and is something that you might have a little bit more on like a colder day. It feels a little bit more comfortable. 
um, which you don't typically think of with IPAs, but the hazies and these New England IPAs, they really serve that super well. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm loving this beer right now. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's what I wanted to say about the beer. Thank you for the digression. <laughs> we can go to our list of topics now. It was, it was, it was a very um, informative digression. Thank so you. I appreciate much. it. I aim to educate both myself and others. Not always Ooh, successful. Look at that. <laughs> it, that it happens commitment. occasionally. <laughs> so, Noel, I see something on our topics list here on our whiteboard. Uh-huh. Uh, World Barista Championship. Yes, I'm training to go and compete in the World Barista Championship, guys. Does Chico also have a school of <laughs> a barista school in addition to the school of mixology? Um, no, well, <laughs> that's for my former life. Um, no, but yeah, so I, I, I wrote World Barista Championship in our list for today because today I watched half of a documentary that follows a Slovenian man, I think okay. he's Slovenian, who is training to go in the World Barista Championship. Yeah. And, and, and he's a big shot and people expect him to win. Okay. Wow. One of the reasons I started watching this documentary is because I, when I was in Taiwan in 2019, in Taipei, the, the, the capital city, I actually went into a coffee shop that was operated by a man who had won first place in the World Barista Championship in 2016. Okay. Um, I bought a $24 cup of coffee there. That- <laughs> Twenty-four dollar cup. Twenty-four of U.S. dollar cup of coffee. Yeah, it's an expensive cup of coffee, my friend. Very expensive, but it it is the cup of coffee that won the championship in 2016. I mean, if you're gonna go to the place, I feel like you gotta get that coffee, right? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Any other coffee would have been six to seven dollars. Yeah. And I thought it would be so stupid to save myself eighteen bucks just to have gone to this place and not gotten the thing exactly yeah Yeah. 18 bucks when you're there you know you might as well but anyway i was looking at this documentary and this dude is fucking crazy (laughs) (laughs) i'd expect nothing less so this guy they show him like going to ethiopia Mm -hmm. and rummaging around the jungle with a bunch of dudes who are guiding him because he's looking for some wild coffee trees okay um, and I mean, imagine, think about coffee, how long we've been growing it commercially yeah, and how long that plant has been domesticated. So just think about how rare the chance to actually see a wild coffee tree that no one is tending to. It just happens to be there naturally. Like nobody's discovered this coffee tree. Exactly. It's a unique, unique type of coffee that no one else has tried or marketed or taken anywhere else wow that um, is I, I i that goes beyond barista right that's right. basically like you're an adventurer that you're an explorer yeah yeah <laughs> he's like uh he's like uh i don't know philosopher of coffee almost a <laughs> bit of an ecologist as well yeah but this dude his name is i think it's sasa Sertchik. okay um some I balkan might, name yeah. exactly it might be terribly mis pronouncing that but he's a quite interesting fella um him and his family moved out of first moved out of slovenia when the 
war started in the 90s. Mm-hmm. They moved to Serbia, then the war spread to Serbia. And yep. they managed to move to Australia where this world barista champion was uh, um, he became a professional handball player in Australia. What? Yeah, yeah. So he oh, went from life. being a professional handball player to being one of the world's best coffee makers. Oh, my goodness. Talk about a good story, Arch, right? Yeah, no kidding. So what the heck? So, okay, so when when you say this World Barista Championship, you know, I'm imagining something like a, a fancy, like, you know, cappuccino art, latte art and stuff. That's not what this is. No. This is about the coffee itself. Yeah, this is about the coffee itself, how it's um, roasted, how it is brewed, Mm -hmm. and just... I've seen a couple of videos. Essentially, you'll have the competitor set up a little bar, make a little recipe. It might have some some extra elements. Some people will add tea or or, or different things to their their blends. Yeah. but in the end, it's yeah, it's about serving that like that espresso or that americano that does the best possible job at bringing out the depth and complexity of a coffee bean. That's crazy, dude. You know, I um, for all my love of alcohol, and this show is definitely an attestation to that. <laughs> the the one drug that I could never live without is caffeine, for sure. Really? Yeah, I just if I had to choose between alcohol and caffeine, it would it would take me two seconds. It's caffeine, Ooh. man. Yeah, Damn. I mean, which is which is crazy because maybe but, we're doing the wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we need to have a coffee night. One night. Oh, or yeah, let's let's make a little brunch episode. Oh, I love it. Brunch is the best meal. Oh, we can get some uh, like chicken waffle sandwiches. Oh, chicken and waffle, dude. We go to Roscoe's up in LA. Damn. All right. Anyway, so sorry, getting distracted by the chicken and waffles. So, so, uh, but ca- you know, for for how much I love caffeine in particular and coffee as an extension of that, uh, you know, I know remarkably little about coffees, and I I have a hard time telling the difference between, you know, a really high end coffee and just kind of like a middle of the road. You know, we just uh, in our household we drink Pete's. Um, mm. whatever their uh their captain captain Dick captain Dickinson's something major Dickinson's okay. roast whatever their like super standard blend is you know that's what we mostly drank and I I think it's great and I could you could serve me that and a really nice coffee side by side and I I could tell that the other one's nicer but if yeah. I have them independently I haven't given it near as much like thought and time and trying different things as I have alcohol. <laughs> so I don't have opinions yet or palates, you know? I see. So Andrew, you said you, you drink the major Dickinson. I think it's called major Dickinson's. Okay. I, so sure. I might be sounding like a major Dick here, <laughs> but <laughs> I think part of what's going on, like if you compare coffee, the coffee market and the alcohol market yeah, and alcohol, there's more of a, it's more accepted to have a very expensive bottle of liquor. Mm. Whereas if you try to sell people a very expensive bag of coffee beans, yeah, that's frowned upon. That's not, that's not sexy, right? If you it's spend like 40, thing. yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and say if you really go off the charts, right? You charge like $40 for a bag of coffee. Imagine. Yeah. 
people who buy that would be regarded as stupid. Whereas someone who buys a $150 (laughs) bottle of whiskey is refined. You know what I mean? Mm, Yeah. And the zeitgeist, I I, I see what you're saying. It's Uh, just different different cultural attitudes towards the both products. Yeah, yeah, very fair. Well, shout out to uh, to Sanjay Srinivas, who I don't think you've met before, but uh, who is the guy who's buying a bunch of different, you know, twenty to forty dollar bags of coffee and trying them all out. He's the one. He started this around the time I got into alcohol. He started getting into coffee. Does he have a podcast? He doesn't have a podcast, man. How do you know about him? Uh, we lived together for a while, and he's one of my very good friends. He's going to oh. officiate Leisha and my wedding, actually. No way. Yeah, yeah. You'll get the chance to meet him. But, is he, uh, he going to make coffee for the boys? I think I might ask him to now. <laughs> <laughs> Bring a really nice coffee. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, well, we, should, we, should, we should chat to him about coffee at some point. Maybe, maybe yeah, we need a brunch coffee episode, man. Ooh. Okay. I'm down. Re- er, listeners, dear listeners, you are privy to the greatest minds of a generation of brainstorming <laughs> podcast ideas here. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, bur- the barista challenge, the world barista championship. So how was that cup of coffee that you had in Taiwan? What did you think of it? So at first I tried it and uh, it didn't taste like any coffee I'd had before. And I w- it was so different from everything I had had before that I was confused. Okay. Um so probably had four sip of it four sips from it and i was still just getting confused trying to figure out what this tasted like because it didn't really taste like coffee mm-hmm. um or it had some qualities of it but there were so many other things going on and then i you know i asked the the waitress what the best pairing for that coffee would be and she said oh the tiramisu cake <sighs> can never go wrong with tiramisu. Yeah, absolutely. So I got my cake, you know, these four sips where I was confused. I was waiting for my cake. When the cake got there, I, I tried both of them together and it was just flavor town in my mouth. <laughs> Going to flavor town. Like I, yeah, like it just delivered the essence of coffee into my soul. Yeah. And it was fantastic, robust, rich, deep, uh, sweet, you know, a little bit like a, like a very opulent cup of hot chocolate. <laughs> it had that yeah. like type of, you know, robustness to it. Yeah. Strong legs. Once I paired it up with a cake. Without the cake, I was just confused. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's one of the things, right? Is that like coffees and like honestly a lot of alcohol, beer, specifically wine too. Um, like it really, it really reaches its zenith when it's paired with the right food yeah yeah that's very interesting all of this is making me hungry and uh and a little thirsty what did you have for dinner i had uh what did i have i had baked salmon no oh yeah i baked i baked a couple pounds of salmon yesterday so i had some leftovers oh that's pretty cool yeah (laughs) It, it came out well all right let's take a quick break uh we'll be back to talk about more of the items on our whiteboard See you later. And we are back. We've got a new drink. Big wave golden ale. 
Cheers. Cheers. By Kana Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. This is a classic because it's they have a 12-pack. It's a variety 12-pack that they sell, and it's one of the best value beers you can find at the supermarket these oh, yeah. days. Oh, yeah. Um, I wonder if that's why people buy it. <laughs> I like Big Wave a lot. I think it's uh, super quaffable. The other classic Kona beer is uh, the Longboard Island Lager, of course. Um, yeah, man, Kona. So for for those who are not aware, uh, this is on the west coast of the Big Island. This uh, this brewery, uh, right near where my partner Lisha Matsunovu grew up. It's uh, the brewery is a lot of fun too. We mm-hmm. got the chance to go out there. Um, I think the, maybe it was the last time we were in Hawaii. But uh, yeah, very solid, very quaffable, very yeah. refreshing. You know what I think when I drink it? What's that? <laughs> I think paradise is just a sip away. <laughs> Does it say that on the bottle? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need our kickbacks. It says paddle into easy drinking island refreshment with big wave. So smooth it's like catching the crest of a breaking wave at Oahu's Makaha Beach and gliding all the way into shore. Paradise is just a sip away. One life, right? That's pretty good, man. I mean they're they're right in like that feeling of gliding into the shore with a wave. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh pretty unbeatable. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm the odd man out in that I, in San Diego, and that I don't do much surfing. But uh, I don't do either. Yeah, I know. I gotta. I think we gotta up our game at some point. <sighs> we do. I don't, we're oceanographers, and we don't surf every day. I know what surfing feels like, though. Okay. I've done it. Yeah. No one can take that away from me. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's move right along I know to our words. other topics. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, uh, Noel, uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about and thought it'd be Ooh. fun to talk about on the podcast is uh, Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the city. So you you obviously grew up uh, in Guadalajara, or just, you know, part of Guadalajara, uh, right. which is, what, two hours? Maybe two-hour drive? Uh, it's like three and a half. Three and a half, okay. Three and a half hours away from Puerto Vallarta, which is the one of the main beaches in central mexico like central coastal mexico and puerto vallarta is still in jalisco right yeah it's in jalisco and it's uh right on the border with najarit which is to the north of jalisco and uh there is um like the resort town in najarit which is right next door is nuevo vallarta oh okay new vallarta Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's a it's uh i think it's been a big tourist destinations in like the 80s yeah lots of resorts um you know people traveling they're into different kinds of things if you want to do the resort thing where you just don't have to lift a finger you want the all-inclusive like steakhouse type experience and just live like a king you can do that in puerto vallarta if you want to get rowdy, go out to clubs. <laughs> uh, you can also do that. And it is also a very famous city for their gay nightlife. Really? Yeah, it's like gay heaven. Oh, uh, how did that come about? I don't know. I just I just know there's like a big 
um, big like gay party neighborhood. Yeah. In Puerto Vallarta. And also there are a handful of gay resorts where people just go. And I mean, I've never been there, but I'm just imagining. The rumors are salacious. Yeah, and people are walking around naked and shit. Whoa, whoa. that's something. <laughs> I was about to say, is it uh, equivalent to San Francisco? But that's a little different. Well, I mean, Although like San Francisco has changed a lot since its reputation from the from the twentieth century. But yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you know, one of the things about these towns that you get to understand is, like, half of the people who are there at, uh, say, in the summer, they are not there living normal lives. They are there to party. Okay. You know, it's like how you walk down Las, like Las Vegas Strip. Yeah. It's not like it's nothing like normal life. Yeah. The people there aren't behaving normally. <laughs> um, so it's a similar thing in Puerto Vallarta where like, you know, families, of course, are not going to be doing anything crazy. Yeah. But once you get to like the 18 to 30 year old age range, um, Especially people who are not there with their families, you're going to see all sorts of crazy, deranged behavior. Um, <laughs> you know, deranged. I love. That's a great word choice, right there. I mean, that's a word that that I say with the utmost respect to partiers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, okay, so uh, a question here, because you know, I know that. I don't know if this is true in the United States, but certainly uh, other places I've been in Mexico, right? Uh, there's like places like Cancun, which kind of have the um, reputation for a lot of like American spring break, very resort heavy, uh, which is different from like Playa del Carmen, which is like an hour or so south, uh, yeah. also on the beach, which is a little bit more like has more European tourists and has more Mexican tourists coming to like the beach and stuff. Versus, like, you go another hour or two south and you get Tulum, which is, like, you know, a little bit more, like, a health wellness kind of vibe. Like, still a resort destination, yeah. but there's more history. And, like, you know, there's there's a little bit more focus on, like, the slow pace of life as opposed to, like, the nightlife and things. Yeah. Or at least these are the reputations. Yeah. Where does, where does like, Puerto Vallarta fit in kind of this continuum of, like, different, like, tourist destinations? I would say, for the most part, it's family-oriented. Okay. Um, I mean, at the same time, it's not. I I think it's got a little bit for everyone. It's got the advantage compared to Playa del Carmen or Tulum that it's like an actual city. Yeah. And so there's enough room for them to, to, you know, make a little niche for every type of visitor. Yeah. Um. Yeah, one of the cool things, there's also, like, there are these beaches to the north of Puerto Vallarta called San Pancho and uh, Sayulita. Okay. Which are infamous for being um, kind of, like, psychedelic experience-type places, like, smoke weed all the day, surf. Yeah. So those spots definitely have their niche within the... Mm -hmm you know, within, within the, the visitor pool, but Puerto Vallarta in general, I would say you, you have a pretty strong mix of different types of visitors. Yeah. I mean, if you know how to get your way around Puerto Vallarta and like talk to people, you can get to pristine beaches. Um, there are, well, depends on what you want to do. I mean, you can have like a, 
like a fishing trip if you're into that. Ugh. I don't know if you're into that. <laughs> no. Sounds like not. Unless it's deep sea fishing. Are we talking deep sea fishing? Oh, you can definitely do it. I mean, that sounds pretty interesting. I'm not sure I have the money for that, <laughs> but it sounds fun. I mean, it's Puerto Vallarta. Everything's cheaper. Mm. Fair enough, I guess. We do live in California. I mean, anything yeah. anywhere almost is cheaper. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not sure that I have many recommendations. Like, if you, you just go to the Malecon, which is like the down the equivalent to a downtown area it's a boardwalk yeah type place you're gonna see all sorts of things there um ranging from bars stores restaurants uh with restaurants it's you know it's kind of tricky as any very touristy place you can yeah. fall into a trap very easily yeah um and as regards to choosing a hotel you know everyone's gathered their own uh <laughs> Their own taste in hotels. So, yeah, I, I, I don't really know. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I've never stayed in, like, a, basically an all-inclusive resort, you know? Mm. I know that's uh, pretty popular with a lot of folks. And uh, I think for good reason, right? Like, if you want to go on vacation and just d- relax to the yeah. utmost, you want Not everything worry to about be taken anything. care of. Yeah, you never have to leave the grounds. Like, you get to do all the activities. The food is right there, presumably. Look, again, haven't stayed at one. I don't actually know what they're like. This is what I assume that they're like. No, yeah, that's what it's like. And then, you know, you have this group of attractive people from the, like, recreation center at the hotel. They put up, like, put up aerobics classes. Yeah. And so you can enjoy your hamburger guilt-free for that afternoon (laughs) because you did a little workout. You played volleyball with uh, Marta, the, the attractive central american worker you know what i mean <laughs> they really play into like the the illusion of balance yeah and uh you're having fun you're staying active and you're gonna fucking eat that burger tonight <laughs> motherfucker and you're gonna get it to, you're gonna make it a double and you're gonna put a little mustard and ketchup on it and you're going to have a side of fries and then you're going to have a bowl of ice cream. You're going to drip chocolate all over that ice cream and it's going to feel so good when it hits your mouth. This got this got suddenly sexual. <laughs> I'm not sure how that happened. Uh, yeah, so if anyone out there owns a resort and needs uh, someone to, to make advertising for them, I'm available. Demo reel. Yeah. Right there. Just snip that out. There you go. Just make people like, make people feel intimidated by your hospitality (laughs) and by the opulence of the services and products that you can offer. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I don't think I've talked about this on the, on the podcast yet, but, uh, so Alicia and I went out to dinner downtown the other night. Um, this was, this was a bit ago now, but uh, the trolley had just opened up. So a uh, big plug for public transportation. Love public transportation. Thank you, San Diego, for opening a big trolley line right near where we live. The blue line is fantastic. It's amazing. Takes us from La Jolla all the way down straight to the border if we want. Yep. Amazing. Through downtown and stuff. But we, uh, you know, we never really, Leisha and I historically have not eaten downtown because uh, we can't go out to dinner like you got to find parking and then if you yeah. want to have a couple drinks like you, you got to you know you're driving back so you can't really do that and right. like 
you know, there's a yada yada, this and that. And so the trolley yeah. opening is like open that whole thing up. Right. Because the lift, say on a Friday night or Thursday night, a lift I'm from downtown back to where we live, it can easily be like 45 to $60. Brutal. Yeah. Not trying to spend that. Yeah. So, so we, I would rather spend it on the food and alcohol. Absolutely. <laughs> So we uh, we went out to dinner at a place called uh, Herb and Wood in Little Italy. Ooh. Delicious. Uh, a plug for any of you who live in San Diego. Uh, would highly recommend. The food was delicious. The service was amazing. Um, they are they have a wood fired grill that they use uh, for uh, a bunch of the dishes. We both got seafood. I had Branzino. I believe Leisha had salmon. They they cook it on the wood fired grill. It's amazing. But the, the, the point of the story that I'm getting to here is um, I was actually pretty uncomfortable there. And, Ooh, and Alicia was too because uh, I'm not really used to that level of service. So it's the kind of place mm. where they – the waiter is very personable. You know, he came by and he, like, introduced himself. Not too abnormal, but then he was like – I'm trained as a sommelier. I can help you with your wine pairings this evening. And we're like, dude, we're just going to order a couple cocktails, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, like, we can't afford a $400 bottle of wine with dinner, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, he's a little disappointed, I think. But, like, he handled it very well. But he was, like, <laughs> making conversation with us. And, you know, there's there's this these staff members who are... I, they're not servers. They're not bus boys. I, they're not bus people. I'm not sure what they are, but they come over and they like fill, refill your water from the water that's oh, on your table. And it's yeah. like, I, no, I, I can do that. I, I got this. Yeah, like, they just lurk in the edge of the restaurant to spot whenever you need anything at all done. Yeah. And I am so unused to that. And it just made yeah. me very deeply uncomfortable. And like, Leisha and I were talking about like countertop materials for whatever reason. And, uh, and our server comes over and he's like, oh, you, you got to go with marble. You guys remodeling? And we're like, lol, no. <laughs> like, and we didn't say we're grad students, but we basically said like, no, nah, we're just dreaming, man. Yeah. And he's like, you got to go with marble. And I'm like, you know, my... my it gets I, dirty. That's what I was saying. My response was, you got to go with like fake quartz, man. You got to go yeah. with like a Corian thing because yeah. you can just abuse that countertop and it'll be great. Yeah. You got to abuse it. And he's like, but marble's beautiful. And I'm like, but you can't abuse it. And, and he's like, this dude's a server at a nice restaurant and he's acting like you don't cook on your countertop, you know, like use your countertop. <laughs> and, 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 and I, a very nice gentleman, like again, great service, but I was so deeply uncomfortable and the point that I'm trying this to, I swear to God, this came from somewhere, was I feel that's the way I would feel at an all-inclusive resort. Oh. Which is deeply uncomfortable the entire time. Yeah. Well, you know, I think these fancy restaurants, they do that because high-end um, restaurant reviewers, people who, like, write reviews for the Michelin Guide, yeah. they rank they rate that type of things you know so like they'll have their standard set of things they do when they go into a restaurant to see how the service reacts to it oh, okay. so they'll for example like drop a knife like off the side of their table yeah and they'll measure how long it takes for someone to come pick it up and if you're a three michelin star restaurant you want to have someone picking up that knife within like six seconds or something 
Um, and so that's 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 whack. Yeah, I mean it's excessive. It's just part of I guess the culture of what this mainstream school of restaurant thought thinks a really fancy restaurant should be like. Um, I didn't. I don't think a lot of that really bleeds over into the all-inclusive hotel space. Okay. Because, you know, all-inclusive hotels are trying to save, like trying to cut costs. As much as possible. In a way that a fancy restaurant isn't really trying to. Yeah. Um, Because they have like so many more important costs other than staff, like, you know, keeping your pool heated keeping the water cleaned, uh, keeping your plumbing working well, all the electrical energy, et cetera, et cetera. They'll put on shows like every night mm-hmm. so you can go attend like a little concert or a little like dance party any given night of the week. <laughs> the, I mean, these places are insane. I think like rather than give overwhelming service to guests, they're more in the business of providing options for what to do on any given day. Yeah, at least like a really good resort. I think that's what they'll they're gonna focus on. You're kind of selling me on this, man. I mean, you know, I think for the prize of it, like I doubt anyone would regret it. Yeah, for what it costs to go there okay. and just live like a king for a few days. Yeah, got to scrounge together that money, but uh, <laughs> it seems pretty attractive. Okay, well, um, I I wanna I wanna do one more thing before we uh, leave our fine folks to their new year here. But uh, yeah, uh, Andrew made a technical mishap, uh, <laughs> entirely my fault. So I had asked Noel what he's excited for this year. And I said that it's uh, too much to throw <laughs> towards me with no warning. Yep. Um, unfair of me. Yeah, well, I knew we were going to talk about our intentions for the new year. I just didn't know that was going to be the phrasing of the question. <laughs> what am I excited for this coming year? Um, well, I said already that I'm excited for your wedding. Yeah. Because you're going to become a married man. Oh, yeah. Let's and, do this. Uh, that's going to be amazing. I've like I've put a couple songs into the playlist. <sighs> Thank you, sir. For your wedding party. Yeah. Uh, when those songs come on, do now. But I'm coming for that dance floor. <laughs> I'm taking over. We will not have a dedicated dance floor, so we will have to make make one ad I, hoc. I can make it. Oh, I'm sure this will happen. I don't need any equipment. I just need a song, a good beat. We're going to have great music, great people, great drinks, great food. People are going to be dancing, man. What else, what else could you wish for? Uh, honestly, pretty much nothing, man. Do you, do you know what you're going to wear yet? Uh, I'm still working on that a little bit. So I've got the shoes picked out. Nice. That's like the key for me. Um, Smooth. I, yeah. I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm generally a... Uh, uh, excuse me. In my dress like outfits, I'm generally a pants first kind of guy. So like the pants are kind of the accent piece. Okay. Or like the statement piece. Maybe statement piece is the wrong word. I, I don't usually wear statement pieces. But like... You know, I, I go for I go for like the baby blue or like the pink or the purple or stuff. Oh, nice. I would generally go for like the pant in that color and then a more neutral top. Mm. So I think I'm gonna try to do something like that. By the way, this is Palm Springs. Yeah, just outside of Palm Springs. So I f- I feel like that dis- dictates the style 
to some considerable extent. Oh, it does indeed. Guests can look at our mood board to see what to wear. Which Alicia made. It's an excellent mood board. Um, yes. So, I, I mean, it's going to be like a desert cash color. Desert nice. casual. So, corals, light blues, things like that. So, no, I don't have my outfit picked out yet. And I need to get on that. Um, future Andrew hopping in to say, I've got my outfit picked out. And it's fresh. Yeah, come back to me. You know what color palette I'm going for? What's that? Red, black, and ivory. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, that is. You, that's that's gonna be. That's you're gonna be the only one. <laughs> well, I mean, you're you're gonna you're gonna see, but it's it's a very fresh outfit. Okay. Wait, you um, already have your outfit picked out, and I don't. Well. You know, I mean, you you've actually seen the shirt. It's an expensive shirt. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, that's a different vibe than I was thinking. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I know that shirt. Yes, of course. Yeah, it's gonna be great. This is a this is a silk shirt with flowers on it. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. I I paid a little bit too much money for it, but <laughs> who cares? It's gonna look fantastic on the dance floor. Yeah. Um, that's amazing, dude. Yeah. So I'm excited for my wedding this year. Um, <laughs> this just talk yeah. turned into a conversation about this your is wedding. It's just a wedding podcast now. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, Alicia, putting putting it all out there. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm excited for that, but I'm also like uh, professionally excited for I should be qualifying this year. Nice, which should be fun. Um, so. For those for those listeners who don't know, that's kind of the uh, last step in the PhD before the defense, and it usually happens around two years out, um, two ish years out. Uh, I, I mean, different people do it at different times, but it's basically you get your committee together, which is the in our case the five people who are professors who ultimately get to decide whether or not you get your PhD and whether your work was up to up to snuff is <laughs> of a quality reserved for a PhD. And you get them together and you basically tell them, here's what I'm going to do in the next, you know, two-ish years in order to get to a PhD. And they say, cool, or here's some ideas, or you need to change some things and come back to us, or things like that. Yeah. Uh, so that that should happen this year as well. And um, yeah, I mean, those are, the, those are kind of the big things on my mind right now. Um, mm. Yeah, got some professional stuff or like, you know, research things that should be coming to fruition, uh, which are, you know, we'll go into the qualifying, which I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Um, but one thing I want to get into this year is uh, starting to age my cocktails. Hopefully, this podcast will be a proving ground for much of that. Yeah, actually, so I walked into your apartment today, Andrew, and I saw this list of things to buy. <laughs> and there's an item in that list that is... All caps, American Oak Barrel. Yeah. And I think that's so cool. How big is this barrel that you're going to buy? Uh, just one or two liters. Um, and actually, uh, uh, somebody might be getting one for me. So I'm, I'm holding off a little bit. <laughs> Ooh, that winning privilege. <laughs> I think I think this is actually might be a late Christmas gift. But um, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, American newly toasted American oak barrels is what they age bourbon in, right? Uh, generally, Damn. and many other whiskeys as well. What type so. of cocktail are you trying to age, dude? That's that's TBD. I I, I gotta I gotta think about it. But I w- I will probably start with some sort of either rum or tequila based cocktail. Mm. That's kind of that's kind of what I'm thinking. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's one thing I'm looking forward to as well, and. Uh, and yeah, just uh, I'm looking forward to more exciting guests on the podcast too. Oh yeah, it's gonna be nice. Yeah. Um, All right, your turn. Okay, my turn. <laughs> well, you know, I'm also excited about a couple of work things. Yeah. Uh, I submitted my first chapter for sub for publication. Ooh. Um, right before going on Christmas break, so I hope sometime this year it's actually going to be out and published and it's going to feel amazing because i've worked for so long in it yeah and i can't work on it for one more second or it's <laughs> going to drive me crazy <laughs> yeah fair enough uh also my second chapter is like coming to uh you know the arch is is closing so i think it's it's gonna go out sometime in the next month or month or so whoa i didn't realize it was that close yeah yeah you know i'm 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 i got like a fire lit under my ass i gotta get out of here i gotta finish (laughs) so that's what's going on with me i also i really want to take like a nice trip this year yeah an old friend who i met like eight seven or eight years ago he lives in france he's an amazing dude um he's gonna go visit southern mexico in in about a month so i'm thinking maybe i might go just to like like how how far south he's gonna be in guerrero and oaxaca yeah okay so i might go and see him then if not, I really have this itch that I really want to scratch of just going to Guatemala and Colombia for a few weeks. Wow. That'd be awesome. Oh, I know. I'm just like, you know, do you ever, do you ever get like a little scared of having like way too much fun and then feeling guilty for it? Yeah. I don't get, I don't know that I get scared of it in advance, but that definitely happens to me. Yeah. Like, like like when i feel like it can't be you know this is not sustainable and like why did i do this to myself why did i have this good of a time because i have to go back to work yeah you know exactly yeah i'm just i'm just thinking of what going to guatemala and colombia would be for me yeah like right now and i really want to do it but i'm also like that's way too much fun for it to be like (laughs) you know a mature adult decision i don't know you know i know yeah i know i know um maybe i'll do it so it's it's in my mind um also well this probably is the type of trip that would have to wait until like covid kind of abates entirely phases out yeah Yeah. um but i want to go to bulgaria i recently made a good bulgarian friend who can hook me up with information wow. places to stay etc trying to like stay on the black sea or something like that yeah i'm also curious because bulgaria has one of the um oldest wine cultures in the world i have heard that 
That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, they have uh, quite a bit of Roman infrastructure and culture there. Yeah. And so they've been making wine for like 4,000 years. Wow. This friend of mine told me that her, uh, this is the friend I'm talking about is Asley, by the way. Shout out to Asley. Amazing person. Shout out. Um, but anyway, Asley told me that her grandparents have a, have a vineyard. And they don't sell, you know, it's not a commercial operation. They just make wine because, like, they want the family to have something to drink. Yeah. And apparently they do this special technique where in the winter they'll take grapes and then they'll cut, like, vines in some places and they'll plug a grape into the vine. Like a graft or something? They'll... Well, I don't know what a graft is, but like the point of plugging, like essentially putting a a vine through the grape. Oh, okay. The point of that is so that during the winter months, the plant, the vine doesn't need to photosynthesize, but it can get its sugar from that grape. Whoa. That has been like artificially put there into the bloodstream of the vine. I maybe the actual theme of this uh, this episode is we're not botanists because that's that's mind blowing <laughs> to me. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, I mean the whole point is to just give the the vine a supply of of sugar uh, to keep it alive and growing through the winter. Wow. Yeah, and uh, apparently the wine that comes out of that is like quite special because oh. it's like a very old old grape. It's the late harvest. It's yeah. The, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, that's that's like the other place in my travel list that if I, you know, if things if things happen right this year, yeah, and I feel brave, might end up in Bulgaria. Who knows? Folks, do something exciting in twenty twenty two. I know times are uncertain, and you know we're going through another wave right now. But uh, remember to remember to have something to look forward to. We'll have something to look forward to and let the shine, let the light inside of you shine. Yeah. Just uh, project it wherever you go. I love that. I think ending on the positive notes, what we got. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. We've got a, we've got some exciting guests coming up in 2022. Really excited for where profiles is headed. And um, thanks for listening folks. Thanks for listening folks.